greetings this morning in Jesus' name. Not sure why, but it seems different to come up here from that side. I sort of lost in my thoughts there as I came up. Um, why don't we uh, open with a word of prayer here this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that we can gather together, that we can uh, worship you, we can sing together, praise you. I just pray, Father, that the songs we sang, that the words of those songs would be the cry of our heart. I think many of the songs talked about your provision to us. That's what I want to talk about to you this morning. Just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Speak to me. Too, through this message, just pray, Father, that you would do a work in each of our hearts. Pray that you would bless the remainder of the service, that your spirit would be present here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I guess for a meditation or I don't know, I forget what we were supposed to do for an opening, what it was called, but kind of an encouragement. Hopefully it can be an encouragement to you. Um, I want to look at a story of the Israelites that I'm not exactly sure why. Like, I don't remember what, why it came to my mind sometime in the last week or two weeks. Um, but as I was thinking about it throughout the week here, uh, I seem impressed more and more to share on it. Um, I'm not sure what it all means for us, but we are supposed to take an example from them, and uh, so hopefully we can do that here. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10. I want to read the first uh, 11 verses or so, mainly for context, but then talking specifically about the one verse. First, <coughs> excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all, your fa- all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted Christ. Sorry. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So as you go down through here, Paul here uh, is calling us to remember the Israelites and the lessons uh, taught to them. Uh, we have 
these stories here for our learning. And each of these verses as he goes through. Um, I think starting in verse 6. Um, the center reference in my Bible has a, has a reference that each of these verses goes back to. Um, getting ahead of myself here. Uh, something to remember as we go through this is that all of them came through the Red Sea. They all saw, saw God working uh, in that experience. They all drank from the same rock, it says, uh, referencing the, when uh, God caused the water to come from the rock when they were thirsty. Um, they ate the same meat, referencing the his provision of food when they were in the wilderness. So all of the Israelites experienced all of that. But God wasn't pleased with many of them. And then it goes into starting in verse 6, these various uh, examples. Uh, not lusting after evil things. Not being idolaters in verse 7, which would be... Um, I think that's the reference. Yeah, that's the reference to them... Uh, making the golden calf at Mount Sinai. Verse 8, neither let us commit fortification. Um, Center reference in my Bibles went back to, uh, uh, they were camped close to Moab, and I think it says they joined themselves onto Baal Peor, which would have been the god of the Moabites. Um, Then through that, committed fortification with the people of Moab. Um, verse 9, neither tempt Christ. This is, uh, this is the actual story that I wanted to look at. Um, as some, neither tempt Christ as some of them were tempted and were destroyed of serpents. We'll go more into that one in a minute. But then in murmuring, in verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them and were and we're destroyed of the destroyer. Um, that one is a reference to the 12 spies sent into Canaan, and 10 of them uh, causing the children of Israel to murmur against God. So we have all these lessons, and I guess we want to look at um, the fiery serpent, I think it's referred to, in Numbers, um, chapter 21. Let's see what we can pull out of this. Numbers chapter twenty one. Um, We'll read verses 4 through 9. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God. And the people, 
And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth. Okay, so we start out, uh, verse 4 there, the soul of the people was much discouraged um, because of the way. Walking through the wilderness was hard, um, wasn't, uh, I don't know, I, I can imagine that we all would have been discouraged too. It wasn't a joyful thing. Um, I'd think um, of our way today, are any of us discouraged because of the way? Are we facing something hard that's causing us to be discouraged? So I noticed that through this portion of scripture, it doesn't seem like they were punished for their discouragement, but because they were speaking against God. So they were discouraged, and in a way you could say they didn't handle it right. They, they, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how to say this exactly. I think you can be discouraged, and it's in how you handling, and it's in how you handle it that uh, is where the problem came in for them. And I think the same goes for us. Um, when we're discouraged, if we, look to God rather than look to the way, the the uh, tough path that we're on, whatever that may be, and I'm sure that's different for all of us. Um, it's probably something the Israelites had that was a little different. The, the way was essentially the same for all of them. They all walked through that same path. And I'm not sure if that's what caused, you know, having everybody around them all, all discouraged made it worse for them. I suppose it could have. But the fact of the matter is, is they did, they didn't turn to God when they were discouraged. They forget, find it back here. They spoke against God and against Moses, God's appointed one, the one appointed to lead them. Questioned his bringing them up out of Egypt just to die in the wilderness. Complained about bread, no water. Um. I didn't actually look where in the history of them being brought out of Egypt this falls, but I'm kind of thinking that they had been provided with manna already by this point. I guess you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was clear that God had provided for them, otherwise they wouldn't still be there, whatever the case. And so instead of uh, focusing on 
God's provision. They focused on their circumstances. I don't know if they ever asked the question, but uh, this thought came to mind. If only this were different, or if only God would have done this. Sometimes I think we do that when we don't like how things are going. He complained about the bread and the water, even though he had provided for them plenty of times in the past. And I guess this is what the tempting of Christ mentioned in 1 Corinthians that I read first is referring to. I'm not, I had a little bit of a hard time understanding exactly how, how 1 Corinthians uh, would describe that as tempting of Christ. But because of their sin, God sent the fiery serpents. Um, which story, I'm sure we're all familiar with this. Um, so the fiery serpents is, fiery is a reference to both their copper color and also them being va- uh, venomous or poisonous. So God prays to the Lord, um, God, I'm sorry, Moses prays to God for the people. Um, the people recognize they've sinned and they come to Moses to, to pray to God to uh, help them, to take away the serpents. Um, so Moses prays and... God says to make a fiery serpent. Which, according to other places, would seem like he made it out of brass. um, Which would kind of give that yellowish copper color. So he makes a serpent. He puts it on a pole. Um, If the people were bitten and looked at the pole, they were healed. The serpent didn't uh, prevent them from being bitten. It cured them when they were, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing to think about. God didn't take away the cause for their, I'm sorry, didn't take away the, uh, um, is punishment the right word? He didn't, I think that's the right way to say it. He didn't take away their punishment of the snakes for their sin, but he took away the the sting of it, I guess you could say. Um, the way it reads, it would read as if they the snakes continued to be around there. I have no idea how long they were there. Um, I think it was in verse 10, they moved to somewhere else. Did the snakes follow them or did they stay there? It doesn't really say how long they were around. But it says that everyone that was bitten, when he looked upon the snake on the pole, he would live. 
I also had to think, it's kind of interesting. We think of the serpent throughout the Bible as kind of a bad connotation. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. I had a children's lesson that I brought a snake up here. But um, why? I had to wonder why God told Moses to make a snake and put it on a pole. And it's almost as if that snake was, which again, there's a uh, verse in John we'll get to. Um, I guess the snake was a type of sin nailed to the cross, I think is how that would be. Not so much that the snake is a type of Christ. I don't know if I'm making sense with that, but it's the the comparison there was very interesting. And it yeah, I'm not sure all the reasoning, but it just, it just seemed a little bit uh, a little bit strange. Something that has such bad connotation was lifted up as as the healing uh, element in the situation, but So they are kept from death by looking at the serpent on a pole. Um, I'm going to read that verse in John here quick. John chapter 3. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So as the Israelites look to the serpent for healing from the, um, could you say the punishment for their sin? So we need to look to Christ for healing from from our sin. And so there's one more place where this story is talked about, and that's the one that the part of the story that I was thinking about first, um, that is in Second Kings, and I'm sure you're probably familiar with this passage as well. I know I've heard other people preach about this. Second uh, Kings 18. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places, and brake the images, and cut down the groves, and brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. So Hezekiah comes in, uh, he does that which is right in the sight of the Lord, he cleans cleans out all the idols, the groves, uh, deals with all the idolatry there in Israel. Um, 
sorry, Judah, I guess. Um, in, his, in the process, he comes across the serpent that Moses had made. From the reading I had done on this, it Hezekiah gave it this name, Nehushtan. Um, I looked up how to say that, and I'm not remembering. Oh, yeah, there it is. Nehushtan, I guess, is actually how you would say that in Hebrew. Hezekiah gave this serpent on the pole this name. Um, and basically, it means that the name... It was given to signify its worthlessness. Basically, it means it's a thing of brass. It's like it's not. What's it worth? Is kind of the the connotation with that name. Uh, I guess in response to Israel or, or to the Israelites um, burning incense to it and in a sense worshiping it, he says, "What? It's just a thing of brass." Um, so in having lost sight of God uh, in a way in, in their hunger to worship something they picked up this old serpent on a pole they probably remembered the healing that came during the time that Moses had lifted it up or this is generations later, so they probably heard the stories and thought, well, this here, uh, you know, this here is, was a good thing. Maybe we should worship it. And they forgot that the source of the healing was God, which is the key to practically everything in our life. Um, God is the one that provided for them the one that they were murmuring against. God is the one that brought healing to them through the serpent on, on the pole. The serpent was just just a thing of brass. It had no power to heal anyone. Instead of worshiping God, they burn incense to this serpent. Do we do this? If we're supposed to take the Israelites for an example... I had to wonder, is there things that we do this with in our life where we forget God and we, um, I don't know how you say it, look to some provision that he has made for us and think of that as the answer and not God himself. We lose sight of God and grasp onto whatever the last thing we had was and lift it up not lifting up God, who is the source. <clears throat> so I guess in uh, in closing here, thinking about, um, okay, this this here in Second uh, Kings, Hezekiah um, breaking apart the brass serpent wouldn't have happened if the Israelites hadn't forgotten God's provision for them. So they forgot, 
they grumbled and murmured about the way they were discouraged. And then all of the rest of this was brought on them. So let's remember what got them there. And that was the discouragement and not uh, not dealing with that properly, forgetting God and his provisions. 